0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey guys, how you doing? It's good to be back with you guys. Uh, if you're visiting with us, if you're new, my name's Joe. That's probably obvious by now. I don't know why I say that every week, other than in case you missed it. Uh, but let's, let's pause for a minute to, um, we'd like to just, pray before I begin preaching. Father, thank you for thank you for your presence in our lives. God, thank you for your goodness. Lord, your word reminds us to just pause for a minute and to acknowledge the fact that you are greater, you are bigger, you are everything that we need. And Lord, I know that as we gather here tonight, I know that that there's some of us in the room that we come and we're we're weary and we're tired. Some of us come discouraged and some of us um, just come just needing a touch from you. And I know there's others of us that are here, we're just skeptical. Skeptical of you, skeptical of the scriptures and skeptical of God's people. And so Lord, I just know that there's, there's different people in the room tonight. And Lord, I know, I know my, uh, my tendency to, um, to stray away from you and to look to myself uh, for, for my own provision and to no longer look to you and then to become discouraged because life is hard and sin takes its toll. And so God, I'm just aware of those needs. I'm aware of those own, my own needs deep within my heart. And so God, I just ask as we open the scriptures this evening that you would maybe just humble our hearts and open our hearts and train our minds to hear from you. I pray, God, that your spirit would just be present and moving among us. I pray, God, that we would just maybe come into a fresh revelation of your grace and your mercy for us. But I pray that you would maybe just take the hardness of our hearts and that you would soften our hearts to hear from you. But I know that deep down inside of my heart, God, I know that day by day that I just struggle with desires that are contrary to what you want from me. and I know I'm not the only one in the room, and so, God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts this evening as we open your word. I pray, God, that you would confront the desires of our hearts and help us to desire you. I pray, God, that you would just paint a massive picture of how much you loved us so much that you gave your son. And I pray, God, that you would just make Jesus famous in our hearts this evening. pray, God, that you would take the preaching of this word and that you would make it clear and bold. Lord, I pray that you would just change lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away. And for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And so as I studied through this passage this week, preparing for this evening, preparing for this message, I just began to think, like here we are again. Here we are again, back in Luke's gospel. Been here for a couple of years as a church family. And for those of you that have Apple products that work properly, then you can go back and listen to the sermon series. And at some point, you guys who are second-rate levels with droids and other types of phones can listen to those sermons as soon as they get (laughs) re-uploaded. But if you go back, we have roughly up to almost two years almost two years um, of sermons in this book, and I have enjoyed every moment of it. So we've examined Luke's account of Jesus coming and becoming a man, and then walking among us and performing miracles, preaching the gospel, and then like intentionally heading towards Jerusalem, towards certain death. I mean, dude's going to die, right? Right? He's going to die as he goes to Jerusalem, and he's still headed that way. You and I, we don't intentionally walk towards our deaths unless we got some screws loose in our head. Jesus doesn't have a screw loose, and he's headed towards Jerusalem where he's about to die. It's a great story. It's a roller coaster of a ride, right? Like up and down and around these crazy turns and circles as you listen to this story as Luke paints the picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. It's a roller coaster of a ride and it should get our attention every time. It's a great story. Following the details of the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's like watching a really good movie love watching a good movie. It's One of the favorite things that I have to do is when I get to kick back and relax on a Friday or a Saturday with a friend or a family member and, and watch a killer story. I know that Harley and I this last week got to sit back and we watched a movie about some miners that were stuck in a mining shaft a half mile under the earth and they survived there for nearly 70 days. If I remember right, every last one of them, all 33 of them came out alive and it was... It was just a gut wrenching story, like sitting on the edge of my seat. There were so many elements in this story of suspense, fear, salvation, pain, and betrayal, and even just love as you watch these men in this movie learning to live together in this really difficult situation where all these elements in the storyline. This is why Luke's gospel is so good. Luke's gospel is so good for us because it's a fantastic story. It's a great story for us to listen to and to observe and to let it just seep down into the depths of our hearts because it's it's full of imagination. It's full of unexpected twists and turns. It's full of danger and heartache and betrayal. It's full of sacrifice. I want you to just think back through the story for a minute or two. last few chapters of Luke's gospel have been absolutely incredible as we've studied it. And in case you haven't been with us for a while or in case this is new for you as you come into the gospel of Luke, I just have to say this. like I want you to catch this picture. Jesus was the man, right? Dude was the man. I mean, he was the preacher of all preachers. Over the last few chapters, Jesus has literally preached his guts out to the people that have gathered around him. He's preached on the need for repentance in chapter 13. He's preached on the reality of the kingdom of God. He's preached on striving to enter God's family through the narrow door, which is Christ. He's preached on the marks of humility in the parable of the wedding feast. And then he preached on what it means to accept The invitation of the Father to come to the banquet table and to sit and to feast upon Christ as our only sustenance. The only person, the only thing in all of existence that can sustain you and I is Christ. And the invitation that Jesus preached was this invitation from the Father to come and to join the family and to sit at the table and to receive from him who loves us preached on what it means to accept that invitation. He preached on what it means to embrace the cost of being a cross-carrying disciple. Being a cross-carrying disciple is not about sitting in a church on a Sunday night. Although this is piece of it, being a cross-carrying disciple is about rejection and acceptance. It's about rejecting all other roads of life that could call out to you. It's about rejecting all other desires that cry out to you. It's about rejecting all of the sinful patterns that have ruled and reigned over your heart and then accepting Christ, accepting his love, accepting his justification, accepting his work in your heart as he adopts you and takes you out of the family that you once were in called sin as an object of hate. It's about accepting that invitation to be taken out of that family as an enemy of God and then being brought into the family of God as an adopted son or daughter of God because of your trust and your faith in Christ. This is is what it means to be a cross-carrying disciple. It means to pick up your cross and walk with it as your Savior, whom you claim to follow, did. It's about rejecting everything else because he rejected everything else so that he could come and die for you so that you and I could be accepted by his father Jesus preaches that message in chapter 14 and then in chapter 15 he preached on what it means he preached on what it means to have a heart that mirrors the father's heart of love for the lost getting found three stories remember three stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the two lost sons. This picture of God's heart of love for people who are lost. Let's preach on what it looks like as we looked last week or two weeks ago. Preach on what it looks like to be crafty and intentional about our relationship between money and God. Tough topic, right? Jesus was the man. Agreed? Somebody say amen, right? Amen. <coughs> Like Not only was Jesus the man, not only was he a preacher of preachers, but he was a preacher, and he was a leader, and he was a servant. He was also this really intense uh, uh, opposer, or, or, or uh, not poser, but a poser. Please hear that straight. I don't need to like see that all over Facebook. Pastor Joe just called Jesus a poser. No, that's not what I said. Like Get the earwax out your ears. Opposer or opponent of evil. Jesus was an intense opponent of evil. I mean, everything that is good was embodied in Christ and he walked this earth. He was an intense opponent of evil. As he preached all these things and in more, with like intense clarity and, and courage. He did this while also leading his disciples and serving all of the needy crowds around him and responding then to the opposition of the religious leaders who constantly complained, constantly confronted, constantly schemed against him. This is what Jesus did. Always, always an opponent of evil. These people opposed him because they struggled to understand his preaching. And honestly, like, I think that they opposed Jesus because he confronted some of their deepest longings and cravings. I think that Jesus confronted some of their deepest longings, cravings, and desires. Desires for self-gratification, self-promotion, self-elevation. The basic message of the cross is to come to the cross and to totally lose ourselves so that we can be found, right? It's not to promote ourselves. It's not to continue climbing the ladder of success. I mean, the message of the gospel is not to come and join a church so that we can look better, have a better crowd of friends, because if that's the case, you will soon find out that we are just as bad of friends as any other friend you had before this, right? It's not to come and to climb that ladder of success or to gain more of things that we didn't have before or to to feel like we're more cool than we were before or to learn how to do all the right things so that when then we can just earn a better position. The message of the cross has nothing to do with self-promotion, self-gratification, self-elevation or self-protection. A lot of people want to hide out. I want to protect myself. the reality is that when we come to Christ, it's about losing oneself so that we can gain the entire kingdom. As we watch Jesus throughout this gospel, throughout this message, we see him continuing to set himself aside, his needs aside, and continue to sacrifice himself for the good of others. This is the example and the model that you and I have. This is also the Savior that you and I have. If you've trusted in him tonight, this is the King and the Lord that you and I have. You are no longer the king of your life, no longer the Lord of your life. You have claimed Christ because he has claimed you. You have chosen him because he chose you first. I mean, get this straight. You couldn't choose him unless he chose you first. Because left to your natural self, you would always choose in opposition to him. So the great piece of this message of the gospel as we see this picture of Jesus is what he does when he preaches is he confronts self. He confronts selfishness deep down within us. This message is not really primarily about you and I. It's really primarily about Jesus and making him famous in in you and I's heart and lives. Preaching of Jesus is meant to reveal our hearts. This is what the preaching of Jesus is meant to do. When Christ is preached or when, when Jesus preaches through the power of the Spirit, our longings, all of our cravings, all of our passions, all of our desires are laid bare in front of us. They're laid unhidden, untwisted, un- unmasked, naked, naked in front of us. In these moments when Jesus preaches a word that directly confronts all of our sinfulness and we are made aware of the war that we've made against God, When we, then, then, then we have a choice to make at that point. Like when Jesus preaches and when he speaks to the power of his spirit and the word, when it's open in front of us, all of our desires are being confronted in that moment and we have a choice to make. A choice to make is the Holy Spirit calls Out to each and every one of us, giving us an invitation to follow Christ. That's the invitation, the basic invitation always, always. From the beginning of the scriptures to the the end of the scriptures, and from the beginning of time to the end of time, the message has always been trust in Christ. Even the people within the Old Testament were looking forward to the coming Christ, and those who lived during the time of Christ were looking dead at him, And those of us who have lived since then are now looking back in faith and trust that Christ would save us from our sinful desires and change us. The question for us is how do we respond? When Jesus preaches, how do you respond? What is is happening deep within your heart when you hear the words of Christ? Like you can either ridicule what he says and you can ignore the preaching of Jesus or, or you can be a person who then rejoices and accepts his words like healing ointment for weary hearts. You're only going to be in either one of those camps. There is no in between. It's very black and white. There is no gray spaces to following Jesus. You either ridicule and reject or you receive and accept. You either ridicule and reject the word of Christ or you receive and accept, where is your heart tonight as you prepare to hear this message? Are you ready to receive from the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to receive from Jesus as he speaks from his word? Like, remove me out of this place. I don't want to stand in front of you and preach anything if it wouldn't be the word of Christ alone. If these are just my words tonight, then this is hopeless. That there'd be no reason for preaching if this was just me standing in front of you, uh, describing for you and laying in front of you all of the head knowledge I got from all the commentaries I read this week and all the preachers I listened to you to. And If that's all it is, then, then you shouldn't even be sitting here listening to it. There's got to be a Holy Spirit, Jesus-centered thing that is happening in these moments as you hear this word preached. And the question for you and I is, if Jesus is preaching in the midst of all this to our hearts, how do you respond? Do you ridicule? Do you reject? Do you hear the rebuke of Jesus in the moments like this? And when you hear that rebuke, what do you do? When Jesus rebukes those desires deep within your heart to want things that are contrary to him, what do you do? You barricade, you build up more walls, you shut your hearing down, you close your eyes, do you begin to self-justify? Do you begin to say, well, those things, they're not that bad. Where are you this evening in these moments? And listen, as we hear Christ preaching, we can be reminded of the gospel. We can be reminded of the gospel which enables us not to perform God's rules to justify ourselves in our own strength. But instead, we can live obediently to God's commands because we love the one who has loved us perfectly from before the foundations of the earth. The scriptures are clear that God's love is eternal. It cannot be quenched. It cannot be stopped. It's what happens in your heart. What happens inside your heart when Jesus confronts your sinful longings? What emotions are present when Jesus speaks a word of rebuke to you because of the simple cravings of your heart? What do you do when your deepest desires are dragged out of the depths of the prisons within your heart and laid bare and naked in front of you? Like these are the questions. These are the questions that this text provokes for us this evening. These are the questions that kind of like bubble to the surface, right? they like bubble to the surface when we look at the Pharisees and their response to the preaching of Christ. Notice how the Pharisees respond to Jesus' preaching. Verse 14, the Pharisees basically ridicule Jesus. They ridicule him. Jesus tells his disciples that they cannot love both God and money. Listen, Jesus is like, hey, you cannot love both God and money. You can only serve one master. You can only love one. You can't serve both. You can't. I mean, I get this picture of a real intense Jesus in this moment. Because you know when he's speaking in verse 13, he's speaking to his disciples directly, and the Pharisees are just gathered around there hearing it. And I don't think when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's like trying to oppose them in any way. I think he's intense, Because he wants to hold them steady in what's true. And what's true is you cannot serve both God and money. And when the Pharisees overhear this, when the Pharisees overhear him preaching this, in their classic form, they move from complaining and grumbling about Jesus to then ridiculing him for his preaching. I think this pattern of movement is something to pay attention to. Think about it. First we complain because we didn't get what we wanted to get. You think about all the things you wanted to get this week, all the things you wanted, all the things you desired so deep down inside. And when you didn't get what you wanted to get, what did you do? Complain first. I can't believe I didn't get that. I can't believe this didn't happen. I can't believe that didn't go the way I wanted it to. Complain about it first. <coughs> then we grumble against the people who are responsible for not giving us what we wanted to get, right? Right? I can't believe I didn't get that. Man, it was her fault, or it was his fault I didn't get that. At first we complain, and then we grumble, then we ridicule. We ridicule others because they failed to meet our expectations. The Pharisees didn't get what they wanted from Jesus, and so they complained and grumbled, and now they were ridiculing him. Why were they ridiculing him? They ridiculed him because of their love for money. And Luke makes this clear when he says, it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. You imagine being in that place, ridiculing Jesus. I think the Pharisees couldn't imagine a truly religious person being in financial need. That's what they, that's what they proposed. They actually believe similarly to our health, wealth, and prosperity preachers of today that you can find on any Christian network that you turn to. The health, wealth, and prosperity preachers who tell you you should be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. You're stupid. What Bible do you read? Like, I'm sorry to be so rough about that, but think about this for a minute. Jesus was a homeless dude, but no money, no place to lay his head. And you're telling me that if I follow Jesus, I'm going to get healthy, wealthy, and wise? Hello. Hello. Well, what about Job? Like Job, you look in the Old Testament, what happened to Job? He lost everything. Everything, right? He lost everything. And he wasn't called like a scumbag loser who didn't really believe very well or have enough faith. I mean, by implication, believing this way means you've got to write off half the entire Bible. Why do I get so passionate about that? Because it's a, it's a, it's a shot to the gospel. The gospel doesn't say that. Like Getting the kingdom of God and becoming part of the kingdom of God is not about the things we get in this world. It's about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. And these guys have gotten it wrong. They believe that if you performed well enough and were in good standing with God, if you had enough faith, then you would be wealthy, which then by implication means that if you aren't wealthy, then you and God aren't tight like that, right? That's the implication on the opposite end. Guys of God did wrong. The outcome of this theology was that the Pharisees loved their money. And what Jesus had been saying to his disciples was deeply offensive to the Pharisees because in his preaching, Jesus is confronting their deep longing for more money. Jesus was a homeless, poor, gospel preacher with no place to lay his head and no home. And he's preaching to wealthy religious leaders about their love for money. He's confronting their deep cravings for more status bought by money. He's confronting their deep desire for more earthly comfort bought by money. He's confronting their deep longings for more human power bought by money. Pharisees loved their money and Jesus confronted He confronted that when he preached that we should love God instead of money in verses 1 through 13. He preached this in regards to being faithful Serving, loving, and giving our devotion to God instead of money. Cannot serve two masters. This is the reason the Pharisees ridiculed Jesus. They ridiculed him for his preaching because they loved their money. And even though they would attempt to fool you into believing that that they were highly religious, God-fearing people because of all the Bible passages they could quote at you, they were God-haters. They weren't God-lovers. They were money-lovers and God-haters. Love their money. The Pharisees ridiculed Jesus not only because they love money, but they also ridiculed him because of what they heard him say. Like the Pharisees had been listening all along, but they had been listening all wrong. Like, catch that. Like, that's pretty good, isn't it? Right? The Pharisees had been listening all along. They'd been here, they'd been sitting in the pews, they'd been listening, been listening all along, but they heard it all wrong. They were deceived. They couldn't understand why Jesus would say that they shouldn't love their money because, in their hearts, they had loved money to the extent that they had made wealth and poverty spiritual issues. And Jesus basically said that if they continued to love all of their money, all their status, all the power, all the comfort that money could buy, then they, in fact, did not love God at all. You imagine being told that? You imagine Jesus standing in front of you and be like, hey, You don't love God at all. That's a a hard message to hear. What do you do in those moments when Jesus preaches that message to your heart? When you realize that you have not loved God. He's loved you. He's loved you. Even when you didn't love him. Even when you were getting your love stroked by someone else or something else yet again and not turning to him for the love that he could give you he still loved you like nothing changes his love for you can you imagine what it must be like do you ridicule the words of Jesus or do you tremble at the truth of his assessment of your heart even in these moments The Pharisees didn't tremble at this message. The Pharisees didn't tremble when Jesus said these things. The Pharisees ridiculed the preaching of Jesus because they didn't like what they were hearing and because they loved their money and their things and their status and their power and all the things that, that the earth could bring them and the world could bring. They loved all of that more than God, but they sure loved to pretend. They loved to pretend like they were highly spiritual. They loved to reject and shove others away who didn't meet their standards. They blame shifted. They minimized. They sought to discredit the preaching of Christ. This is why Jesus responds to them with a stunning rebuke in verse 15. It's a stunning rebuke in verse 15. What Jesus does is he rebukes the Pharisees. Like he hears their complaints and he hears their grumbling and he sees the darkness and the deception of their hearts And he issues this stunning rebuke that is meant to stop them dead in their tracks and lay the condition of their hearts bare and naked before them. It's meant to turn them back to their need for Christ. It's meant to turn us back to our need for the one who was perfect, though we were imperfect. for the one who loves us perfectly, though we continue to desire and give into our passions and our longings for things and people that don't love God. This message is meant to turn our hearts back to the gospel message, back to our need for Christ. He says this. He says, you are those to justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is an absolutely scathing rebuke. It's an absolutely scathing rebuke when you hear it and you think that you're like top dog, religious, nut freak, whatever, right? And Jesus is like, hey. I know your hearts. You've been trying to justify yourself through all the things that you do and you don't love God. God knows your hearts. God sees it. I, a preacher, I don't know your hearts, but the Holy Spirit does. But the Holy Spirit knows where your longings, your passions, your desires are. He knows how you try to justify yourself, how you try to make yourself look better even though deep down inside you're dirty and filthy just like me. It's an absolute crock to me that I get to stand in front of you and preach anyways. The fact that God uses people to communicate his word blows me away every time I'm prepping and every time I'm preaching because I know the depths of the sin within my own heart. And if I'm that bad, I know you guys are at least close. (laughs) It's a scathing rebuke. It's an in-your-face rebuke of the Pharisees And their practice of seeking human justification instead of godly justification and elevating human desires above God's desires. Like what desires have you given into that are not God's and you are covering them up and you're like, no, I think God wants me to do this. Like you know how we do that? Like we pretend, oh God would want me to do that, right? Like God would want me out here in this filthy place. It's okay. Like God's a forgiving God. It'll be okay tomorrow. No, no. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because they're seeking human justification instead of godly justification. Listen to this. The word justification means this. It means to be made right or to be declared as innocent, acquitted of guilt. You're good. You're okay. You're washed clean. No spot. That's what it means to be justified. The reason that Jesus' rebuke is so scathing in this passage is because he actually accuses the Pharisees of being guilty of seeking their innocence through human means. They would seek to justify themselves or remove any sense of, of guilt outwardly. Well, inside their hearts were as guilty and as dirty and as stinky. As the two year old's diaper I found in my trash can this week. (laughs) They're mumbling and they're grumbling and they're complaining. And now, now their ridiculing of Jesus' preaching gives evidence to the condition of their hearts, gives evidence of the condition of their guilty hearts before God. They were not innocent. They thought that their outward performance, which, which would produce uh, like outward and human recognition and status, would also result in inner transformation. They thought if they could clean up the outside, the inside would get clean. If I could just do all these good things and make better choices with my life, the inside of me will get clean. There won't be such a wreck and such a mess in there. That's what they were thinking. We do the same thing, right? I look around the room. I know us. We do the same thing. Jesus rebukes them because of that. He rebukes them because they failed to remember that justification, justification, which is the act of God declaring us innocent. Like there is no other declaration I want to hear. I don't give a rip what anybody anywhere says about me. I need to hear God the Father saying, you are my son and you are innocent because of the work that my perfect son Christ did and I've given you the faith to trust in him so just walk it out. Like that's what I want, that's a life I want. I'm, I'm so tired of trying to walk that out on my own because I know, I know how I walk that out, Right? I soil my diaper again. That's what I do every time I try to walk it out on my own. Right? You do too, right? Yep. We're all on the same page. They failed to remember that justification or being declared innocent doesn't happen because of our performance. Your performance does not make you clean. It does not make you clean. Being declared innocent or being justified is an inward change that happens when God says you're innocent clean i've taken your sins and i've tossed them as high as the heavens are above the earth and as far as the east is from the west you're clean not dirty anymore that's when justification happens it's a legal declaration by our loving father which then results which then results in outward holiness that receives the preaching of Christ in humility and brokenness. Why did the Pharisees seek human justification? If you're hearing this message, you've got to be thinking the same thing. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Why would anybody want to receive justification anywhere else? I think it's because the Pharisees had confu- confused human desires for godly desires. That's what I think. I think they had taken their own desires and somehow like transposed them onto God. Like, oh, God's going to be okay with this. Think about the desires that course their way through your heart and soul on a daily basis. Think about that. Like how often can you say that the desires or the longings of your heart and your soul are actually in tune, running parallel with, or dancing a great dance with Jesus? His little desires and longings for you. Jesus digs into the cravings of the hearts of the Pharisees when he says, hey God, Knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus literally tells these guys that their hearts are full. Full to overflowing with the longings and the cravings and desires that are in opposition. At war with the longings and the cravings of God's heart. Jesus tells the Pharisees that they are guilty. Guilty. innocent, guilty of loving outward performance and status rather than the inward change. And by doing so, they actually loved what God hated. It's not a sign I'd like to put on my chest like, oh, hey, by the way, I, I, I love the things God says he hates. I don't want to walk around with that because I feel like I'm probably going to get hit by some sort of a lightning bolt. Right? No. I want people to believe and to think that I love the things that God loves. You know the problem for all of us in this room? I don't care where you're at in your path with Jesus. Rejecting him or not rejecting him, following him or not following him, we are all in the same boat on this one thing. We love the things that God hates. I love the things that God hates. That's why I struggle with lust, right? That's why I struggle with anger. I love me being in control. I get angry when I lose control. In those moments, I have to love God again and go, "God, you're in charge. I'm not in control. You're in control. Help me to love you. Thank you for loving me." All right? We're all on the same boat on that. We love the things that God hates. How do you deal with that guilt? How do you deal with knowing that? In what ways do you seek to defend yourself? What desires and longings do you give into that, in fact, are cravings that the Lord hates? Like, how do you seek to hide your sin? Like, in what ways is your heart being laid open, naked, and bare in front of you in these moments? The Pharisees received a stunning rebuke from Jesus because they were living in opposition and at war with him. It's almost as though the Pharisees failed to connect the dots of the law and the prophets and the gospel and their limitations. It's almost as though the Pharisees needed to be reminded again how to connect the dots of the basics. And in verses 16 through 18, towards the end of this text that we're looking at, Jesus basically reminds the Pharisees to connect the dots. Anybody ever have a connect-the-dot book at home? Am I the only one, Really? I got my hand up. I mean, that, that usually means everybody's supposed to put their hand up if you've ever had one of those. I'm just explaining that now. Wake up. <laughs> Connect the dot book. Got this for our kids a number of times. <clears throat> Since we've had seven of them, we've probably had them at least seven times. Connect the dot books, right? You want to draw a basic shape and you're too little and you can't figure out how to hold the crayon, right? So you're just like fisting it, right? You're just holding the fist and you're like dot one, two, three, four, trying to draw. Oh, look, I drew a triangle. Awesome. I think what happened with the Pharisees is they'd forgotten how to connect the dots and draw the basic shapes of the kingdom of God. Jesus reminds the Pharisees to connect the dots between the law, the prophets, the gospel, and our effort. You gotta track these four things. I could probably preach an entire message on just verse 16, okay? So just track with me on verse 16. Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John. And since the good news, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. In other words, follow me. In other words, there are dots that must be connected between, number one, the law. Number two, the prophets. Number three, the gospel. And number four, our effort. I hope you can catch this picture. Would have loved to have done a graphic for you because it would have just came like, poof, perfect. I would have just connected the dots on the screen, right? I didn't do that. I didn't have time. I'm sorry. But you'll have to just really pay attention. Just You need to close your eyes. You need to close your eyes and let the picture get painted. That will work too. That's fine. Like these dots must be connected properly for us to understand the kingdom of God. Lest we become guilty like the Pharisees in this text of building our own little personal kingdoms of self-promotion, self-elevation, self-gratification. So track with me. Jesus is essentially connecting the dots in order of one through four. One, two, three, four. Draw little arrows on a piece of paper or in your Bible. It's okay. You will not go to hell for writing your Bible, okay? You can probably do this on your little phone apps too, I'm sure. Somehow. It's okay. The law is the first dot. The law is the first dot which reminds us of how to live in holiness and love. I'm going to sum up the entire law. One word. What's the word? That fell flat. Like, I even mouthed it for you so you could follow a law. Let me try. So the entire law hangs on one word, and that word is? You guys are awesome. That's good. Talking back. We're moving somewhere. The law is the first dot which reminds us how to live in holiness and love. Hold that word love in one hand. Keep a hold of it. Stick it in your pocket. The prophets are the second dot. Draw a line in your mind from the law to the prophets. The prophets are the second dot, which remind us that we have failed to follow the law. And since we failed to follow the law, we're in desperate need of God to save us from the penalty of breaking the law. Driving too fast one night, the law says, go 65, you're going 70. We'll just say that, 70, you get pulled over. Cop says, you're what? Guilty. Guilty as charged, right? I want to hide it. Well, I'm sorry, like my, uh, you know, my... um. My speedometer doesn't work. I don't know what to say. Oh, I got a little bit of a lead foot. I was paying attention to somebody on the bicycle over here. I mean, we just make excuses. This is what we do. Like, I'm sorry I made that mistake. I'm not really guilty because da-da-da-da. No, you are guilty. It's just the way it goes. Like, deal with it. It's okay. Not a big deal. Why you got to get all butthurt about it, right? Right? Break the law. The prophets come in and say, just like a good cop, hey, by the way, you broke the friggin' law. Okay? It's the prophets do. You know what Jesus said at one point? You know what he said about the prophets? The fulfillment of the prophets was one word also. What do you think that word was? <laughs> you guys are tracking, okay. All right, so let's try this again. So, so the law, you got the law, right? Pretend like it's a jacket for a minute. Pretend like, pretend like it's a coat. You got the law. How do you sum up the law in one word? Love. Okay, so all the things that you could possibly do in the law, all these point by points, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, all the stuff from the Old Testament basically, right? All that law, hang on, one word, that word is What? You guys are tracking so good. Now you got the prophets. The prophets come in like a good cop. Hey, you broke the law. Right? What do you do with all the good prophets? They're a coat too. What fulfills the prophets? Love. Is this tr- does this make any sense? No, you're confused now, aren't you? You're like, how does this work? Wait a minute. What well, Jesus says takes all the law, all the prophets, like two jackets, puts them on one rack, up here on this hook, and the hook's name is love. What we learn is this. We've failed to love God, but he never fails to love us. That's why he sent his son, so that every time we break this law and become guilty, and the prophet of the cop comes in and goes, hey, you were guilty of being angry with your wife for no reason. You were guilty of looking at pornography again. You were guilty of sleeping with that dude again. You were guilty of getting trashed at that bar again the other night. You're guilty. And God goes, but I love you. But I love you. So follow me and learn how to love me. It all hangs on one hook. It's the hook of love. So you got dot number one, the law. Dot number two, the prophets. Now, dot number three is the gospel. Have you heard the gospel in this? Have you heard good news in this? Like, that's what the word gospel means. It's good news. It's not, hey, come to church, get healthy, wealthy, wise, follow all these 10 step programs so that you can get right with God. It's, hey, come to church. Come be a part of God's family as a broken individual who knows that you've broken the law, who knows because the law tells you you've broken it, because the prophets tell you you've broken it, and now you're just reaching out for God's love so you can turn around and love him some more. The gospel is the third dot. Reminds us of our need for Christ because he followed the law perfectly and he gave his life on our behalf so that we could be saved from the penalty of our law-breaking lifestyles. Notice how I haven't said anything about effort yet. Notice how the first three dots have everything to do with God, really. Everything to do with God. Problem for the Pharisees is they thought their effort was dot number one. It's a problem for you and I, we think our efforts are dot number one. I gotta perform. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. No, the the only thing you gotta do is be awakened to the message of the gospel tonight and follow Christ. And that you can't even do on your own. If you're unable to do that now, it's because God gave you the ability to do so. The final dot is our effort. It's the fourth dot. It reminds us of the fact that the only way to force our way into the kingdom of the family of God is through the hearing and the responding to the proclaiming of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were literally connecting the dots in a backward fashion. If you have those dots in your mind in a forward fashion like I just communicated, think about it this way. This is the way they were doing it. They were starting with effort, seeking to find their justification in their outward performance and their effort while ridiculing the gospel that Jesus preached, murdering the prophets who called them to holy living and rewriting the law of God so that they could keep it and therefore justify themselves. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's what Jesus was confronting. This is why Jesus brings up the matter of connecting the dots of the law and human limitation. Verse 17, he says, It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And it's common, okay? It's really common, especially in like really do-good Christian circles to hear people like, Oh, hey, uh, by the way, the law has passed away and the Old Testament's no longer useful. It's like void. We just read the New Testament now. Really, you're stupid too, okay? About that, just say it that way. Like, I'm stupid because I've thought that before, so I'm not just calling everybody else stupid. I'm just trying to be a jerk about things, but really, really, hello. The, the Old Testament's there for a reason, okay? Let's just not, shouldn't even go there. People say that sometimes it no longer needs to be followed because Jesus has come and died, but what Jesus says here completely blows that theology out of the freaking water, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, you gotta ignore this. You gotta ignore this if that's what somebody believes, don't you think, right? Like, you just gonna have to ignore that passage. So that I can ignore the entire Old Testament. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I think we'll just do that and just, yeah, that would be great. This is to be more impossible. It's more impossible to abolish the law of God than to destroy heaven and earth. Who do you think can abolish the law? Who can do it? God. God be the only one that could do it, right? Who can abolish? Who can destroy the earth? Like the only person that can destroy the earth is God himself. Like you and I ain't got that kind of power. We could try and be like mini me. Mm. A billion dollars, right? I want to build me a big time capsule, whatever. Only God can destroy the heavens and the earth. Only God can write the law. The Pharisees were mere, listen, listen, listen to this, catch this, okay? The Pharisees were mere humans with human limitations that needed to be embraced. you got to embrace your human limitations. You are not God. I am not God. We're not the Pharisees, though, they had set themselves up as God. They were the law writers, they were governing judges, and they were executing juries. They were, just did it all. They fought for control and power, they fought for status, and they rejected the notion that God's law is meant to remind us of our limitations and God's unlimited love. This was their issue. The law of God is meant to remind us that we are limited. We are limited in our sinfulness and our humanness. and We are in great need of receiving God's love, which is limitless, and it will never end. This is the reason that Jesus turns his attention to this final verse. It's a basic issue of love. Verse 18, Jesus says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. At first glance, at this last verse, kind of seems like a bunny trail, doesn't it? It's like, Jesus, what'd you do? Got ADHD or something? <laughs> what are you doing? What's... Put yourself in this place for a moment. Jesus says this. If you have a basic understanding of the purpose of the law of God, what Jesus says here is actually a clear call back to the basics of love. What did I just say a little bit ago? The code of love or the code of the law hangs on what? The entire reason that the law was there was to help us to love God and love people. All right? And so Jesus brings out this very basic command out of the Old Testament Scriptures to just kind of point to the Pharisees and say, hey, you missed it here. That's not because the Pharisees are running around getting divorced. Don't hear me? No, you're hearing this from a dude who's been divorced, okay? So if you're here and you've been divorced, ever struggle in that area, don't hear condemnation. Hear Jesus speaking to the Pharisees this way. What Jesus does here is he uses One of the most basic laws of God in regards to marriage and divorce. To illustrate his point that the Pharisees had missed the point. They missed the point because the point of all this was that the Pharisees were lovers of everything that was opposed to God rather than being lovers of God. And this illustration would have driven home the point like a small nail with an eight pound sledgehammer. Pharisees did what we do all the time. They were guilty of breaking God's laws and then, and then making excuses or minimizing the sin or rewriting the law to apply it differently than it was intended so that they could be let off the hook of their guilt. This basic law in regards to divorce and marriage was something that many of the Pharisees historically, most theologians have written about this, many of them have written, that the Pharisees had tampered so much with the divorce laws from the Old Testament so they can make it easy for people to accomplish or not break. They wrote in these little fine point disclaimers at the bottom of the page that gave men especially the right to divorce their wives based upon the fact that their wives whined too much or didn't perform sexually enough for them. Like these dudes actually did this and called themselves religious. They loved things that God hated. They didn't love God. You know, on the flip side, they would not give permission For a divorce to a woman, even if in some real severe cases of abuse. By doing these things, the Pharisees cheapened the purpose of the law. And they watered down the real meaning of love. Diminished that command. They were caught up in loving themselves instead of loving God with their entire beings. The entire point of the law is to help us love God and love people as recipients of God's never-ending love. What is your response as you hear this? What is your response as Jesus reminds you to connect the dots? The basic failure on the part of the Pharisees is the same basic failure that we make every single day. How do these dots connect for you? Have you been prideful? Have you Have been a lover of control? Are you guilty of loving things and accomplishments instead of loving God and the people in your life? Have you rewritten the law of God that no longer apply to you? Have you ignored the prophetic preaching of Christ? Are you in these moments ridiculing what Jesus would, would preach to your sinful and needy heart? Or are you receiving it and accepting it with joy because you know that he renews you and restores your soul daily? How do you respond in light of the ridicule of the Pharisees, the rebuke of Jesus, and his reminder to connect the dots? As we bring this to a close and as I invite our music team back up, I just want you to know this is my prayer for us. This is my prayer for any that would hear this message, that we would be convicted of our sinfulness and simultaneously awakened to the hope that we have in Christ. My prayer is that God, through the power of the Spirit and the preaching of Christ, would convict us of our sinfulness and awaken us to the hope that we have in Christ. My prayer is that our ridiculing would be changed to reception and that Christ's rebuke tonight would soften the hardest of hearts. That we would be reminded once again to connect the dots to the never-ending love of God made available through the cross of Christ where Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out and shed on our behalf. And my prayer is that many would come to repentance and faith in Christ through the preaching of this message. How do you respond in the light of the ridicule of the Pharisees and the rebuke of Jesus and his reminder to connect the dots of love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you for this word. Lord, I know that we have all missed the mark of loving well. So God, I pray that you would convict us of those places where we have failed to love well, convict us of our Our desire and really really our tendency to just reject your love. It's not even that we struggle to receive it, it's that we just we just reject it. Help us to receive it though. Help us to see the picture of Christ at the cross, dying brutally in our place, so that we could then receive this invitation to just trust. To trust that you would take all of our law-breaking activity, all of our law-breaking thinking, all of our law-breaking desires, and that you would just nail those to the cross and then change us in a moment, that you would justify us and declare us as innocent, that you would declare us as no longer your enemies, but now your children. I pray, God, that through this message, you would receive many into the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you guys to stand with me, and as we close, we'll close in a song of worship, and there'll be two people near the front to pray with you if you have needs. Anything in this message just cut you to the core? You just need prayer, you need to confess, repent, whatever. You need healing for something, you need provision for something. Just invite you forward for prayer. Also, there will be two people near the front to serve communion. The way that we do communion is that somebody will stand up here and serve that to you. Come as families if you like. The other thing we say is this that if you're with us and you're not a follower of Christ, you haven't trusted in him, like don't come. <coughs> it's not that we don't want you to come, we do just don't want you to do something that's like some mindless behavior and some religious activity because this won't save you. Only your trust and your faith in Christ will save you and change you and declare you as innocent. So my hope is that many would trust in Christ in this moment. My dad would always say to me when I was younger, hey, to come to Christ doesn't mean you change yourself. It means you bring all your baggage, all your mess, all your stink, all your dirty diapers, you bring them all in and he saves you and changes you. That moment could be now for you. And if that's now for you, great. Then we just encourage you to come and engage in communion. There will be two people to serve it to you and two people to pray with you. Thanks for being with us tonight. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.TheWellHastings.com.